KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. So much of the national discussion these days is rooted in what is happening in Washington, D.C. That means the coverage of the goings-on with the White House and Congress, really important. So how good a job are the journalists that focus on the Beltway doing in giving the American people the proper reporting and context about what is going on? We wanted to dig into this, so we caught up with David Mindich. He is the chair of the journalism department at Temple University's Klein College of Media and Communication. Very interesting conversation. Give a listen. So to start kind of painting with a broad brush, how would you describe the job, the media, specifically those known, quote unquote, the Beltway media that that live and work in D.C., does of covering the federal government and covering federal politics? You know, I think that the job is always mixed. Uh, we need our journalists to hold leaders accountable. We need them to pay attention. We need them to explain things to us. We need them to explain various parts of society to one another and introduce various parts of society. And in many ways, um, journalists do an excellent job day in and day out reporting, uh, holding leaders accountable uh, and making sense of the world. But there are definitely uh, flaws and uh, I'd be happy to talk about uh, those as well. When I think of flaws in this, there are things that jump out at me. And one of them is an almost reflexive nature in a lot of journalists to both sides an issue. And what I mean by that is, you know, we had a attempted insurrection led by some Republican, not led by, but incited and, you know, by some Republican members of Congress. And we had dozens of Republican Congress people vote to overturn a free and fair election. But in 2004, Barbara Boxer was voted to overturn the election of George Bush. So both sides, like no terrible job of context of a very serious issue that, you know, so the average person that doesn't follow politics just thinks, oh, well, it's just noise. Right. You know, a Christian Amanpour uh, of CBS and, and CNN once said famously that balance isn't the same thing as fairness. So it's important to be fair to both sides, but that doesn't necessarily mean that two sides have to be balanced. An example of that uh, is the the Texas politician who believes that uh, that the Holocaust should be balanced. Right, balance is not always appropriate. It's important to get a Republican and Democratic perspective, but um, you know you don't send a reporter out on a story and say you know, you're covering a murder, we need a pro-murder angle, right? That's absurd. And so what we do is we balance appropriate stories, but there are some stories that we don't uh, balance. We don't, we don't say we really need a pro-coup voice um, uh, following January 6th. So there are certain things that are beyond the pale that are just really bad for democracy, and we need to exclude those from, um, from news discussions. What is it that you think leads to that, though? Because it's pretty widespread. And I had an extreme example, but I see it on a lot of smaller issues that, you know, are easier, you know, on their own to be brushed aside. But when you kind of put the whole picture together, is it because they have to deal with all these people that there's a feeling that, 
I don't want to hear if I'm too hard on this side, so I better be able to just kind of put it out there to keep everybody at bay. Is it personal politics coming through? Is it, you know, an editor telling them this is what I want? I mean, I know it's not easily just one box you check. It's probably a little bit of everything. But what are your feelings on that? Yeah, I think journalists are pretty bad about taking criticism. Like the the typical response, if there are complaints as well, you know, the left is complaining about me and the right's complaining about me, so I must be doing something right. Now, I'm a parent of two kids. If I'd apply that to my parenting, like both of my kids are angry at me. I must be doing something right. I mean, that's absurd, right? <laughs> you know, I think that that that, that defense doesn't make sense. Um, it only makes sense as a strategy. And the strategy is, if you're relying on your job as being purely objective, right? You're saying you're defending your job by saying, I'm an objective journalist, I'm not taking sides. That's a kind of easy defense. Um, so the both sidesism allows you to claim that you're not a partisan. But there are failures, as you've pointed out uh, really uh, astutely, that um, that when you when you just defend both sides, you're not necessarily doing reality justice. And I have another example. And honestly, this example is what kind of spurred me to reach out to you and put this together. But I was listening to a radio story about the debt ceiling they had a few weeks ago. You know, are we going to default? And the reporter, and I don't want to mention names, I don't want to mention networks, but presented a soundbite of Mitch McConnell saying, the Republican minority leader, saying that we will not vote to extend the debt ceiling or raise the debt ceiling because the Democrats, we will not allow the Democrats to recklessly spend in the Joe Biden plan. I'm paraphrasing, but that's a general idea. And then presented Chuck Schumer, the leader of the Democratic Party and the, the majority leader, saying that the debt ceiling is for money we've already spent. It has nothing to do. And the reporter did not give any context. It was presented as, well, the Republicans say this, the Democrats say this, you decide. One was fundamentally wrong, like factually wrong. And there was just no... You know, you know, nothing put forward that, well, Mitch McConnell says this will prevent future spending, but that is not how the debt ceiling works. In this case, Chuck Schumer was correct. And it just it was so egregious. And this is somebody that's filing reports on big issues like that. I, I, I don't know. I just almost took my breath away that that was just kind of allowed to go as well. You just but, you know, you decide. Right. I mean, it is again, it's a ritual, right, where you. Um, you defend your objectivity and your nonpartisanship by offering two political powers equal time. Um, and, you know, in the 19th century, all newspapers were partisan. Uh, so 200 years ago, newspapers were, were pretty much all partisan. They were funded by political parties. And journalists gave up that partisanship so that they could talk to the entire city or or country. And the trade-off was they gave up their partisanship. They could talk to a larger audience and they would have access to politicians of both sides or of all sides, depending on how many political parties there were at the time. So there is a there's kind of a strategic trade-off to that. But again, what happens is that reality is often the loser if you have to balance every claim. And, and this goes back far back before before Trump, before Obama, 
I mean, I remember um, in the 1980s when um, Ronald Reagan said that the biggest polluter uh, in the environment is trees. And so like people, journalists would have to write down like, oh, he said this. And then you balance that out with something else. Now, trees aren't the biggest polluter of the environment. We can say that with certainty. Um, but uh, if the president says it, um, you know, it, it's something that, that journalists have to, have to report on, of course. They don't have to necessarily balance it out between two equal claims. You know, so, so you can take a side, you know, an example from the Trump era was Sean Spicer saying that it was the, the biggest uh, inauguration ever, you know, that's patently false. So, um, so it's important to be able to say that. And you know, the last thing I'll say about this is that, it, that we want our journalists to cover politicians. So if, if Trump says that it's the biggest inauguration ever, we need to report on that. We can't just ignore him because we want to hold his statements accountable and we want to hold him accountable. Um, so it's not easy for journalists to try to figure out what's the right way to do it. A lot of people say, we should just ignore you know, the lies. Um, and I, I'm sympathetic to that, but you also want to hold people accountable by figuring out what they're saying and then um, basically holding reality against their statements uh, and maybe even their past statements against their current statements. Do you feel that specifically in D.C., is there too much reliance on access journalism? So access journalism, meaning like you're making the trade off by you're getting the access. So you're willing to be balanced, even if it's a false balance. Just people. I don't want to say not willing to burn sources, but I, I guess, yeah, the way they want to make sure that this person's going to keep talking to them. So maybe they put forth the best possible spin or soften some edges or just present it as just another both sides thing. Is there too much of that? Am I being fair in my description as well? You know, I, th I think you are being fair and, and access is, you know, does have a corrosive outcome in journalism. Um, because if you really want access and you don't want to annoy anybody, um, you ask the soft questions and that's not good either. And when presidents get to choose who they call on and who's in the press room to some extent, that's, that's an important power that journalists have to deal with. Uh, there was an example, again, from the Reagan era where uh, Michael Deaver uh, Reagan's uh, assistant pushed the press away and said, no, you can't ask questions when uh, Reagan is meeting with um, foreign leaders. And journalists got together and said, that's it, we're boycotting. And I think it was two networks. I forget which networks boycotted, but they boycotted for like a day <laughs> until like the evening news came along. And unless everyone's boycotting, they're going to cave, right? So, um, so uh, politicians do hold a lot of power uh, and it's definitely a difficult type tight walk to uh, to walk, right? Um, Tightrope to walk because you, you want to still have access, but you also want to have and ask the tough questions too. Kind of going with access, one of the things I think specifically of the Donald Trump presidency was just story after story of palace intrigue. This person doesn't like this person. This person, through a source, says that that Donald Trump has soured on this person. Is there a place for that? Is it just 
a step above gossip. I mean, especially at these levels of power, are we doing a disservice with so much focus on on stuff like that? I think the answer is yes. That that uh, I mean, I think the answer to both of your questions: yes, there's a place for it. Yes, we're doing it too much, right? Um, that um, that we want to know if if, for example, the homeland security person under Trump is out of favor, that's, that has implications for the way we deal with, um, with migrants, the, the way we deal with people trying to enter the country, for example. But we also have to watch out that we're not just slipping into gossip, right? It doesn't really matter, you know, who Trump's favorite son or, or you know, daughter is, but it does matter to some extent, you know, if, uh, if he has Pence's back, it certainly mattered on January 6th. To the point of January 6th, another thing I've noticed, and I talked about all the politicians who voted to overturn the election, I feel like that is something that has slowly been, I don't want to say pushed under the rug, but been normalized. And a lot of these people who, you know, voted against democracy, frankly, are allowed on the Sunday shows with no context of this politician does not believe Joe Biden won't like, I feel like if you're going to take steps that some politicians took speaking at that January 6th rally, specifically stuff like that, that should kind of follow you. <laughs> and you should, if you're going to appear on shows that help set the national agenda, there should be context given that this is so-and-so a politician, a congressperson from whatever state, by the way, they voted to overturn the election based on absolutely no factual evidence. Yeah, so there's there's a, a great journalism scholar named Daniel Hallen who's written about the nature of objective journalism. And he envisions the discussions that we have within journalism as falling under one of three concentric spheres. This, the, the middle sphere is called the sphere of deviance. Uh, sorry, the middle sphere is sphere of, of of consensus where we all agree on things like baseball and apple pie. And the middle sphere is the sphere of legitimate controversy where things are debated, like how much should rich people pay in taxes? A legitimate question, right? Uh, and then there's a sphere of deviance, the, the views that journalists tend to exclude because they're just so beyond the pale. Um, so is it okay to overthrow the government? That's beyond the pale. Is it okay to put kids in cages? That should be beyond the pale as well. So, um, so I think the question you're getting at is how should journalists frame deviant uh, views? And I would argue that a deviant view is it's okay to overthrow the government. Uh, it's okay to overthrow an election. You know, one of I think the the things that we should all agree on is that for all the faults of America, one of the beautiful things is that there's never been, you know, a violent, you know, violent election until until now. I mean, it's always been a, a peaceful transfer of power. Um, and so the question is, when should journalists exclude or at least call out deviant uh, thoughts? Um, and in this case, I think that 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 anyone who voted uh, to support the big lie or the insurrection, really should be called out for the rest of their lives. I mean, this is this is really dangerous behavior. And even though journalists uh, should be nonpartisan for the mainstream um, news outlets, they can also be partisan about uh, their defense of democracy. 
And so, you know, we should all be cheerleaders for the First Amendment. We should all be cheerleaders for the rule of law um, uh, and, you know, the shared humanity of fellow Americans. Um, and I think it's okay to step out of the neutral ground and cheerlead democracy uh, in overt ways, because you can still be fair to various political parties, but also say, no, we um, our core American values include the peaceful transfer of power um, uh, and treating everyone with respect. Talked about access journalism and such another term that you hear a lot when it comes to how D.C. is covered is the horse race. Everything is looked through the prism of the next election and what it can tell. And once again, I feel that is something there are certain places where it's needed, but anymore, I feel like everything is shoved through that lens and it eliminates. I think you saw a lot of this with COVID like, you know, well, if uh, the death toll keeps rising, that could hurt Donald Trump. These are human beings. These are people. And, I feel like we, a lot of people, and maybe it's just part of the bubble environment, everything becomes a, a race, a jockeying for position. And I don't think that's not just like bad for democracy. I feel like that's bad for humanity. Yeah, I think that there are a whole bunch of biases that you can detect, even among journalists who uh, are non-biased um, and nonpartisan. Uh, one of them is horse race, um, that that every election, and, and um, I used to work with a, a professor at New York University named Jay Rosen, who was really trying to call out journalism um, on almost a daily basis in the 1990s, like saying, hey, you know, horse race is not the best way to look at elections. Uh, and I'm, I'm certainly interested personally when an election comes along, like who's up and who's down, but if that's the only prism that we look through, that's a bias. Um, you know, journalists can still claim I'm objective, but um, but operate in this weird, skewed um, lens of horse race uh, that really um, that really you know shifts the way we should be looking at America. One way of looking at America is like, what's the America we want to find? in a hundred years from now, like what is the America that we want for our grandchildren um, and our great grandchildren? That's a, that's a frame that you almost never hear in mainstream journalism, but you hear horse race, you know, a hundred times more often. And so I think that what we're, what happens is that we're really, it, it really gives a myopic view of America. And I think we deserve better and more. So I wouldn't throw away horse race completely, but I think that there are other frames that are more compelling and more important to us as citizens try to figure out which policies are better for us. Um, you know, are, are our policies geared towards wealth? Are they geared towards the least fortunate? Are they geared towards national defense? I mean, there are all kinds of things that we can be talking about aside from who's up and who's down. And to that point, and I'll look at this specifically with the, uh, Legis proposed legislation uh, on human infrastructure, for lack of a better term, that the president has put forth. And for the longest time, you just heard $3.5 trillion plan, $3.5 trillion plan, $3.5 trillion plan. And that's a lot of money. That is a big number. But no context given that it's over 10 years. And if I read a column correctly, 
It is basically two years of a Pentagon budget. Like, it is... And very little talk about, well, what would that money do? You know, break down where the money goes, who would benefit, you know, stuff like that. Is that just... I don't want to use the word lazy, but it's just easier to just throw that term because everybody's using it. Everybody knows what you're talking about rather than digging in and kind of giving context. Or are we in a place where uh, the outlets don't really demand that of the reporters? They just want what a lot of the things that we've just spent the last 20 minutes talking about. Right. I mean, I think it's, it's certainly easier for a journalist to talk about numbers because then you're, again, with a strategic ritual of uh, defending yourself against charges the bias, it's easier to talk about um, numbers because people can't say, oh, well, you're offering your own perspective here. Um, I think it's also really to be realistic about the Biden administration, probably the Democrats and the Biden administration did a poor job in terms of like explaining this to the American public. If you keep on talking about 3.5 versus $1.9 trillion, Uh, that's not a very compelling argument. It's kind of insider baseball, and it doesn't really tell the American people exactly what's in those bills. And and also the Republicans deserve some blame too, because through the whole Fox News um, uh, propaganda system, we also see uh, just how expensive it is without the the benefits. Um, And when Americans are asked about the specific proposals um, and they're asked, you know, do you support that this is being paid for by extra taxes on the rich and corporations? Most Americans support it. When you say, you know, do you think we should spend $3.5 trillion? There's less support. So I think I think journalists, Democrats, and Republicans are all to blame for, uh, for this frame. Do you have any indication, all the things we've talked about, the flaws, the problems and stuff, is there any indication that anyone that could make changes cares? And are you, do you ever see any course corrections? Is there ever any self-reflection that you see, Oh, wait a minute. That's, that's a positive improvement. I, I, I like what I see there. Or is it just a slow, steady decline in the other direction? <laughs> I don't know if it's a decline. I mean, I think, I think we, we, we've definitely felt, We've felt it for decades, um, this issue of horse race trumping everything else, superficiality. You know, there are smart people out there who are critiquing the press. You know, CNN's Brian Stelzer, I think, does a really good job. Uh, Jay Rosen on Twitter uh, does a great job. Um, I think journalism educators uh, are holding journalists accountable. And journalists aren't only, you know, knee-jerk rejecting all criticism. There is some inward looking as well. Um, So, you know, I don't think it's as bleak uh, as maybe, um, you know, we're painting it, but, um, but it definitely, there, there is a defensiveness among, among journalists. And and I do think that, that it's important to look at other forms of looking at politics besides horse race, besides who's up, who's down. uh, And this, as you're really correctly pointing out, this both sides is um, that you're uh, that you're trying to present this false balance in the name of objectivity. And to be fair to the journalists, how much do you think the way we consume media leads to this? You know, website runners, newspaper, they want clicks on stories. They want 
retweets, stuff like that. And a lot of that stuff doesn't lend itself to to nuance, to detail. It lends itself to grabbing your attention. Uh, how much are, you know, in this situation, are you a prisoner to what the market demands? Yeah, it's it's a really it's a great question, and you know it's it's made more immediate in this time of clicks, right? So it used to be um, the New Yorker famously said, you know, we write for ourselves, we don't care who's reading it, um, and then if anyone decides to pick up the magazine, great, but um, but our decisions are based on what we're interested in, and you know, I'd be interesting to look at the New Yorker newsroom to see like if they're following clicks now too. And I certainly, you know, every publication that I know does concern itself with um, how many clicks they're getting. I wrote a piece for the Columbia Journalism Review about five years ago, um, right before Trump was elected. And it was about how we need to call Trump out more on what I was calling this kind of deviant, uh, deviant thoughts. And I was offering the model of Edward R. Murrow, who called out McCarthy when McCarthy really was acting kind of against democratic norms in the United States. Kind of a little ironic twist was that my piece, because it talked about Trump, was the most popular piece of the summer on the Columbia Journalism Review. So I'm like talking about how we're kind of we should really not be giving him so much free uh, airtime. Uh, And someone calculated that he had, you know, millions and millions of dollars of free airtime, maybe more than a billion dollars of of free airtime in 2016. But in part, he had all that free airtime and throughout his presidency because people are more likely to click on something with the word Trump in it. Right. Um, And so it's it's this age old battle of giving people what they want and uh, versus what they need. And when journalists see how many clicks they get, the balance is skewed more towards what people want than what people need. The best institutions can resist those pressures somewhat, but I don't think anyone could resist it completely. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.